you're going to be here at Lakeside Retreat That's for right. the Mind Under Matter Campout Festival, September 9th through 11th. So yeah. Cole's just going to be kind of setting up a, a couple minutes about his his background for context, and then uh, and then just opening it up to questions. So it'll be kind of completely guided by uh, you guys in the audience. Yeah. And it's going to be a science and music and comedy festival, which are three of my favorite things, and so. I'll be expecting the audience. I won't know what to expect from the audience, so I look forward to seeing what their questions will be for me. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I'm here at Lakeside Retreats, where the Mind Under Matter Campout Festival will be September 9th through 11th, camping until the Monday the 12th, and Patreon Day on Thursday the 8th. We're doing all sorts of things including music on the stage that we're at right now and then across the lake behind us if you're watching on video on youtube or spotify we're having science talks we're having all sorts of other things as well uh, i've been talking about this for a bit but you can go to mindunderpod.com to find out more about that and i happen to have one of my very best friends in the world who is also going to be at the science area giving what I imagine is going to be one of the more popular um, talks, Q&As kind of presentations over there. And um, and he's been on the show multiple times in the past. My friend Cole Marta is joining me. Hello, Hello. Cole. It's good to be back. Yeah, you got to, to be here. Yeah, you got to see the whole area. You got to help me hatch plans all weekend. Yeah. This has been um, a lot of fun. I'm uh, I'm currently I uh, because I've screwed up every single thing since every time I've tried to record. A here <laughs> we are in Raleigh. I thought I had my second microphone and it was an empty microphone bag for some reason. So I'm using a Zoom H6 to record myself a nice piece of equipment if you're getting into um, podcasting. But if you're on video and you're like, why does this mic look like that? It's because of extreme circumstances, but it sounds great. <laughs> Luckily, the we're in a beautiful setting, but unfortunately, there is not an, a microphone store at the lake. No, no, not right at the. There's a little <laughs> general store with some snacks and things like that, but they they are out of microphones right. currently. We got the last one. <laughs> um, so, and this is actually. Uh, serendipitous but the reason that we're here we actually recorded before remotely and i screwed up the recording and then cole was coming to visit anyway so i was like we'll just record on the stage yeah, and this is uh, much more exciting yeah it is this so uh, this is uh this is beautiful and we've been having uh these these conversations for years about the work that you do yep. um we went out and uh saw some of the bands that are going to be here last night you got to meet a couple of my new friends in town and stuff and uh everyone always has lots of questions for you yeah. when they find out what you do so why don't you tell people about yourself and what you do sure uh, my name is dr cole marta i'm a psychiatrist and uh since my residency training, I've taken a particular interest in emerging potential healing effects of potential medical applications of different psychedelics, primarily ketamine. Uh, I also do research with uh, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS. Um, I'm the principal inve investigator uh, in Los Angeles for the phase two and phase three trials there. And we've been doing the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD studies for the last five years and been working clinically with ketamine for the last seven years. Um, yeah, published some peer-reviewed articles on both of those topics and a couple of other psychedelic uh, related peer-reviewed articles and 
that's been my interest for the last probably like 10 years, but directly involved in the work for the last seven. Wonderful. So one of the things that I I get a lot of messages from people uh, regarding psychedelics and I uh, pretty much that's a good way for me to not answer you. If you write me about psychedelics (laughs) on social media, usually it's like someone wants some sort of guidance of some kind. And it's it's a situation where even if I we're qualified to give uh, such advice. It's, it's not, uh, you don't give medical advice over, uh, you know, a direct a, message, a direct message on, <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> especially if you're not a medical professional. Especially if you're not a medical professional. And so uh, I, I don't mean anything personal by it when I don't, uh, when I don't write those people back, but I don't feel comfortable with it. And especially when people are like, do you know where I can score DMT in Indianapolis? Like, <laughs> oh, so you imagine that I know how to get DMT in Indianapolis and you imagine that I'm going to connect you with right. my illegal drug dealer <laughs> over a DM right. <laughs> and, right. and that's the help that I'm eager to provide for people. But one of the very reasonable questions that I get all of the time and people have so many questions about because this is a new emerging field is... How the heck do you get into psychedelic therapy? This is such a booming, um, uh, exciting area right now. That's right. still that I think there's. I think you'd agree there's still a lot of uh, research to be done and yes. data to be gathered. Absolutely, and, yeah. Um, and and so there's a lot of kind of underground stuff that happens and some of it might be very good but it's certainly um unregulated unregulated, and that comes with a fair number of issues risks and risks for the people trying to seek help risks for the people trying to give help or make money or whatever else right so what what was your path? How did you get into this? So I went to medical school and um, uh, after medical school, I uh, discovered that what I wanted to do was psychiatry. Um, and I had been kind of aware of MAPS and MAPS's research. And uh, just as I was graduating from medical school and applying to residency, MAPS was starting to get serious about, they'd already started uh, their preliminary MDMA trials, and they were getting serious about putting together their phase two and phase three trials. So I just connected with them when I was on the residency application and interview trail um, and sort of stayed in contact with them through my training. And what I did was I focused on you know, like, how can I be, you know, what would be useful to this uh, endeavor of asking these questions about whether psychedelics can actually be medicines. Um, and so that's what I would say to people who are interested in becoming psychedelic therapists themselves. Uh, people who are interested in becoming psychedelic therapists is focus on getting, becoming a therapist, becoming a really good therapist, um, get the best training that you can. You know, it's, it's, it's a very exciting field and there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of excitement out there the science of it uh, to figure out how to best use it and for what the medical indications are moves very, very slow. So even if you're starting now and it feels like, you know, you're missing the boat or something there, you know, the, the vast majority of this work is still ahead of us. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if you are right now trying to decide how you want to get involved in it, the best way to get involved in it is to be, is to focus on your training as a therapist, because the more I work with psychedelics in the medical context, the more I realize that it's that therapy training that is the bulk of the knowledge base that comes in handy when working with people. You know, we're doing the science slowly and deliberately and figuring out, you know, safety and efficacy boundaries and guidelines. Uh, that all that information is added to sort of the the body of knowledge slowly, so you can build your skills as a therapist and take into account and apply the new information as it becomes available. Mm. 
So th- this is because you, you've kind of, uh, you have the Center for Psychedelic Therapy in yeah. California, which has a, uh, a, a which if, if it's something that you're looking into, um, contact uh, the Center for Psychedelic Therapy, um, which Cole is a co-founder and uh, the director of. And there is quite a bit of demand. You you after, you, sure. you had a lot of, uh, you had various um, experience working with other practices and then you went out on your own yeah. and opened it right before COVID. And like right. most people, like, most people in the world that had a business of any kind (laughs) when a global pandemic struck and uh, lockdowns and, um, you know, uncertainty of, of, of the virus and the severity and everything else. And, uh, it, it it was rough on everyone economically and, uh, people like myself that could no longer perform, um, but, uh, but you actually did pretty well in, right. You know, like being a medical, that's, you know, certainly an advantage of being a legitimate medical, uh, establishment is, you know, we are essential workers. We do get direct access to the latest on how to operate within a pandemic safely. People still need their treatments. And there were some adjustments that were made to, you know, make it safe and effective, but it was terrifying. We opened our, you know, we put all of our energy and money, myself and um, my awesome team at California Center for Psychedelic Therapy, uh, Jamie and Brooke and Ashley and Joseph and Haley and Lisa. Um, you know, we put all our eggs into this basket and uh, and we didn't know what was going to happen November 2019. And then the pandemic hit just after we had like on our own remodeled the building and like perfected the space the way we really thought it would be most effective. It's to so contain beautiful and, and, and incredible. Yeah. If, if, if uh, it's, uh, I've, <laughs> I've been there and it's just amazing. Yeah. And in LA, which means also expensive to right. make an amazing facility right. Right. in LA. Yeah, it was a big gamble. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, like you visited and Rick Doblin and a handful of people came. Actually, this is this was the timing. It was like we hosted a bunch of people to show them, look at our brand new place. And that day was the first day they we were they were starting to say like don't shake hands anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, more to come. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember that was the first time I was around people and people were like, do we elbow bump or yeah, yeah. what do we do? Um, so that, that was the timing of opening, you know, our, our, the center that we're currently in now, uh, we'd been building up to it. Um, but yeah, now we have a beautiful center. We have six treatment rooms. We have, an amazing medical team, um, amazing psychotherapy team. Um, another doctor, Dr. Burke, um, works with us on both the MDMA trials and, uh, the ketamine work. And, um, yeah, we just have an awesome, uh, awesome team going. Luckily during the pandemic for our business, unfortunate for our species, um, the pandemic is, you know, really, difficult on people. So their mental health was really important during this. So, um, we were scared, but, uh, business wise things, um, were working out, uh, and, and yeah, the demand has been fairly steady ever since. So, uh, the hope is to continue to grow and continue to potentially open new clinics and work with new trained people. Um, but yeah, like, uh, I, yeah, I, I bring that up because business is booming. It's been booming since the beginning. It's a, and and I I know just from our many discussions that uh, like you were way on top of things from the beginning, but uh, you, you've also come a long way in terms of the admin aspects of it and scheduling right. and and figuring out um, you know the the right people to work with and everything and and so. Uh, right now if uh if you want treatment at 
at Cole's clinic, there may be like a little bit of a way not to, not to, um, not that you shouldn't look into it and they can usually right. see you pretty soon. But the reason I bring it up is because I've, I know things are so busy for you. You, you would, you would be thrilled to find uh, another one or two like perfect people that were like really well qualified sure. to do this. But, but, um, what you are kind of looking for when you hire people, because I know in the past you've worked with a lot of some, some people just had lots and lots of experience within the kind of underground or whatever psychedelic uh, therapy models and less of the like, straightforward clinical training. Uh -huh. And then you have, uh, you have more people that had more of the clinical training and then needed to be trained in psychedelics. And, and I know we've had these discussions where, uh, kind of to reiterate what you were saying earlier by far and away it's the people that have like the real um the experience in the clinical training and right. getting them up to speed on uh you know dealing right. with a new substance or something like that is, sure is yeah i mean and you know i think across the whole field like earlier on before we were working with them as medicines, primarily that was the only way psychedelics have been being used was in these kind of gray area or underground ways. And there was certainly wisdom there uh, in, you know, like aspects of uh, containing and holding space for people. But as we've uh, absolutely crystallized our w mission as working with severe mental illness, it's become really critical to, you know, to value what we know from 150 years of mental health as a science, you know, of psychiatry and psychology um, for working with people who have treatment-resistant depression, PTSD, these diagnoses, all the things that are important clinically for working with somebody who isn't just having a psychedelic experience, it's somebody who is potentially taking a psychedelic medicine for a mental health condition. We focus specifically on working with people who have these diagnoses. And I think that's why our, you know, we've certainly moved and continued to refine what it is that we are looking for. And I think the field that I'm in, if people are interested in that, if people are interested in being psychedelic therapists, psychedelic psychiatrists, being involved in psychedelic science, you know, that means being a scientist, that means being a therapist, that means being a psychiatrist and knowing your diagnoses, knowing your treatment plans, knowing, you know, how to work with all of those conditions in the room, how to hold space for somebody in crisis. All those kinds of things have gotten to be like, because that's where our qualifications are and where I think we uh, have the most value to society, that's why that's sort of been the evolution from, you know, wanting to learn from people who'd been working with psychedelics in the beginning to, okay, but we're going to be working with psychedelics in the context of medicine and mental health. Now I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you could be, because there's all of these kind of terms that you hear within the psychedelic space about um, set and setting and intention uh -huh. and integration. And, and I think that uh, I've always thought it was kind of a shame that those terms seem to just be reserved for the psychedelic space where they are like <laughs> very valuable conditions in all of life and in, sure. in anything that you're doing and sure. setting intentions when you start each day and yeah. and thinking Set about and setting yeah and taking mind taking stock of your mindset and your environment yeah important beyond the the treatment room for sure and and one of the it's it's been fun um hanging out this weekend because it's fun building a festival and some yeah. of it's fun because there's really silly stuff that I get to put together. And then other aspects are all of the like busyness of it. That is like very adulty and uh, you know, like lining up porta potty type stuff that sure. people aren't like, woohoo, I get to 
right, get to right. line up the porta potty business yeah. and figure out how many we're going to have and how <laughs> yeah, often yeah. they're going to be right. And but but so many of the same things apply. Whether it's, I mean, I I think I, I think set and setting is. I mean, important going to a movie theater right, or right. anything else. You know, people put yeah. a lot of effort into uh, these details, at least the places that do it right, any restaurant that you go to. And, and so so it's fun kind of uh, figuring out the proper sort of container, as they yes. say in the psychedelic space, that, that kind of applies to any time that you're... Um, that you're caring for people or entertaining people or, right. or providing some service for, um, for others. And that, that seems to be like the creative art endeavor for our company now that I really enjoy a lot is like, you know, we're perfecting like our sheet game and our blanket game. Yeah. Like well, that's getting what the I, right blankets. That's exactly right where sheets, I was going. That's where right I was going. Palettes. I want, I want to, I was hoping maybe you could, <laughs> maybe you could share because also just uh, some, of, some of those things might, uh, might be like, I've, I've found that some of the things that make, uh, like a perfect psychedelic setting, are also just things that make for a really nice place to relax sure. or whatever that you want to have right. in your home or right. whatever else. Yeah. And, and so I would so well at my office that I like just being at my office. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Not many people get to say that. Right. It's like, I don't mind going there and being there all day. So break down some of that. That could be fun. Yeah. It, it, and and maybe, maybe if you want to start with kind of, the basic necessities and then right. build and maybe some of the newer things you've been right. thinking about. Yeah. So like when I started, it was like, what's the right amount of time for a visit, for example? Um, and what are the essential supports? Um, what are the essential set and setting things? So in the beginning it was like, okay, eye shades and headphones were important. Learn that from the MDMA work. Um, you know, having somebody have an internal experience. Ketamine, for example, is a, is a very internal experience, more so than MDMA. Um, and so we want people to be able to feel comfortable and supported going inside. Um, so refining the playlist was like the first probably year consulting with holotropic breathwork practitioners and other psychedelic researchers. The Johns Hopkins team put together playlists and uh, members of our team talked to members of their team about how they make those selections. Also the holotropic breathwork practitioners in Los Angeles, we talked to a lot. And my first playlist that I had um, that I used for my patients when I was doing it all by it was myself. Guar, I bet. It was <laughs> mostly guar, guar. Megadeth, <laughs> yeah. uh, Anthrax, Hatebreed. <laughs> Um, no, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, this beautiful soundtrack that, um, that, uh, that the holotropic breathwork practitioner in Venice put together for me. And that was what I used primarily for most of my patients for like the first year. Um, uh, so then it came down to like, well, and I had the support medicines, for example, um, I have something in case people get nausea. I have something in case people that our blood pressure is high. I have something in case people panic, which uh, almost never happens. Um, literally near zero. Um, but I have all of those things. So now the room has like over the years evolved to like a number of playlists that we've come to trust as a group, gotten feedback from people, um, setting up, you know, getting the couches, the right number of chairs, the couch, the right size table to house, you know, the right little bowls for the support meds if they're needed. Like every little thing is like been crafted and perfected to support this system down to the number of sheets we have in the building, having a washer and dryer, you know, like all of that stuff. Amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm sure it's the same where, um, you know, I, I'm doing a lot of things for fest. What I realized from putting together a festival is that, like, oh man, there is definitely a degree of difference between the people that 
put all their effort into just getting people there uh-huh. and then people that figure out like what it's actually going to be like when they are there sure and things like porta potty situations which when i found out how cheap it was to not that it's cheap right. but how how much less um how much little money it is comparatively once the porta potties are actually here once they're already being serviced how how little more it is just to have them serviced more regularly like twice a day Uh instead of once a day or whatever in the busy areas it made me upset about so many of my porta potty experiences (laughs) in the past and so you know i'm i'm hoping to do things i i think going to check to see if we can have like the paper things on the seat and stuff like uh-huh. and, it, and that's and that's the sort of stuff like very few people are going to thank you for right you know but right. if it if it's bad sure people are going to notice and that's sure. going to stick out and yes i'm sure there's a lot of things like that within and like in in, in my space I, all, all credit is due to the team around me. Um, Brooke is certainly the, the head designer, I would say, of the layout. A lot of people have definitely contributed to it. And I am completely oblivious to it, but I know it when I see it, especially now. You know, I have more experience now um, because of this experience of building this clinic. And it's been beautiful. Like, I think you're right. Like, it's not something you'll never definitely necessarily notice. But if you go somewhere else, you'll notice it's very different from where you came from if you went to ours first, you know, right, right. or if you went to another clinic first and you come to ours, you know, like the room, we, we have all the necessary safety and medical equipment, but it's like stowed appropriately. It doesn't feel like a medical office. That's an important part to us of the, of creating a safe container. We try to minimize the power, the inherent power dynamic, like the feeling of the power dynamic, um, by, you know, we dress fairly casually, um, that kind of, those kinds of like subtleties too, is like a part of the, the aesthetic at our place. Yeah. So another thing that I get a lot, so, and, and this is another one where like once in a while I'm like, oh, you know, sometimes I will answer that. But one, one thing I won't get is if you had like your crazy DMT experience or you had your own like manic episode or whatever, and you saw my documentary and now you want advice because of your thing. I'm like, I can't tell you much more than to like sure. seek professional help. But, um, but it, one that I'm more understanding with is people that are really psychedelic, uh, psychedelic, um, uh, naive, like they've uh-huh. never done a psychedelic before they are looking for something and they've tried other therapies and perhaps medications and things in the past. Uh-huh. And if I do answer people back, um, uh, when they ask like, where should I start? What would you recommend? Almost all of the time I say, well, why don't you just see if there's legal ketamine therapy in your area? Because it's legal, it's professional. And although, um, for me personally, I tend to like looking back, attribute more, um, mental health progress toward mushrooms, which is all they've also backfired on me. But, Uh um, but what, what I think is, um, also just incredible about ketamine is in why it's like, I'm kind of like, well, why not try this? If you, Uh if you're seeking this before, like going to Peru and doing the ayahuasca thing and everything like, ketamine it's a pretty safe experience when used appropriately in a clinical setting and everything it, it's it's kind of short it's it doesn't have negative interactions with other things i, I know like a lot of a lot of people um 
I, I know of a lot of people that have tried mushrooms that have as a last resort have tried every other medication right and they just like don't really do anything at all just because they're still on so many like whatever antidepressants or whatever else and to have to go sure. through like getting off of those things to potentially yeah. even the mdma work you know like um mdma psilocybin which is being you know i'm glad you brought that up like psilocybin is fairly far along in its process of asking this important question of whether this is something that can be helpful, safe and effective for um, indications like depression. Um, and um, so we're not, we're not there yet. We don't know exactly, you know, the, the evidence is promising that it can be helpful, but even if it turns out that that data, you know, that, that, that those studies are done and I hope that they are, um, and I hope that it it is true that there uh, can be used safely and effectively for a certain amount of people with depression. Um, it is, it still would probably be, I think if, if psilocybin became available in the next year and we were considering, you know, half of our, our team is already trained in the models being used in the psilocybin assisted psychotherapy for depression, um, trials too. So we're, we're planning to be ready for that when that, in the, in the event that that becomes an FDA approved medicine. Um, like even if that were available right away, I still think ketamine's, you know, rates of response are so high and, it's such an easier for the patient introduction for someone who's treatment naive and has depression and is not necessarily looking to have a psychedelic experience and is just looking to get rid of their depression. You know, um, I think it's easier to work with. It's shorter. It doesn't require most people will be on antidepressants who have treatment resistant depression. You know, there, it's not that the antidepressants don't do anything for their depression. It's just that they're still depressed, but they're worse when they don't take their antidepressants. So in those cases with MDMA and psilocybin, as I understand it now, it's still best methods to take people completely off of those meds. And that can take a while to do. And people can really struggle to come off of medications and things. So uh, a beautiful thing about ketamine uh, is that it works on a completely different neurotransmitter system. That's one of the like exciting scientific breakthroughs about it is we found something that doesn't work on serotonin or dopamine, at least not primarily, that affects depression. And that's really important for a number of reasons. One, you don't have nearly as many safety concerns around people taking you know, too many serotonin modulating things at the same time. People can continue to take their antidepressants and have a trial of ketamine. You'll know quickly if it's going to be helpful. You'll know in the first one to three treatments, one to three or four treatments. Um, and uh, with both, with anything that works on serotonin, somebody, for example, who may be bipolar, um, you risk, you know, there's a higher risk for manic switching, for example, like when you start an, even an, a traditional antidepressant on somebody who has bipolar two, there's a risk of them switching into a hypomanic episode. Um, then, you know, you know, then you change your treatment plan and address that with ketamine. It, it hasn't been shown to have that effect on people, at least not yet. And, you know, we're now 20 years since the, original study in 2001 where they demonstrated ketamine can be safe, you know, can be effective for treating depression. So we've got a good amount of data that suggests that there is not this, at least not a large risk of switching somebody or having some other untoward effect on their mood as a result of the treatment itself, which I think would be a risk with psilocybin. So I am not at all uh, bad mouthing psilocybin. I'm a huge fan of the research who are doing that research, researchers that are doing that research. And I am very hopeful that it will be another tool in our toolbox. But uh, I don't think 
it's necessarily, I don't think one should be hoping to replace the other or anything like that. I think it's going to be great that at, in psychiatry in general, we're going to have a lot more tools in our toolkit, hopefully in the next four or five years. One would think that a ketamine treatment would be a great deal cheaper as well, just because of the duration of the experience too. And, right. and so just in, in terms of scheduling, in terms of accessibility, in terms of the medical costs and, and probably as there's varying degrees of, of insurance coverage, I, my, my, my hunch would be that, um, that, uh, uh, insurance will be more likely to be covering ketamine, you know, sure. thing that's been around longer, even, even once, um, mushrooms or, or psilocybin rather, cause it's, it's, uh, usually the right. psilocybin pill, yeah. um, is, is it, it hits the uh, uh, hits the clinical settings and is approved for uh, for normal use? I still think it's going to be behind in terms of uh, being accessible for sure. people of sure. various income brackets. Yeah, and in general, accessibility is its own whole hydro monster, um, as is the insurance universe. Um, but yes, ketamine, um, from a resource standpoint too, um, uh, I think for people is more reasonable, like with psilocybin experiences, you're talking about a minimum of five to six hour experience to be supported plus preparation and, you know, ensuring safety afterward. It's likely going to be a day long thing. And that's what we expect to see with the MDMA. Certainly that's what we do in the trials where we're trying to establish whether or not this is safe and effective um, with the MDMA is those sessions are all day long. Um, that's new to my knowledge. There's no um, treatments in psychiatry that are day long treatments, um, which is another, you know, real beautiful thing about uh, the serendipity of where myself and my team were in our careers when this is also emerging, that we've been able to build from the ground up a clinic with these things in mind, rather than, you know, being a clinic that is used to doing 30 minute bed manage appointments and hour long therapy appointments and trying to shoehorn in 90 minute ketamine sessions and eight hour MDMA sessions. Like we're really creating the space with foresight to like, you know, if these things get FDA approval and they're shown to truly be safe and effective, that's the kind of work we'd like to, to, to be involved in. So the space is also being created with those potential treatments in mind as well. But if you were just a, a, a psilocybin assisted therapist, you'd be seeing five people a week. Right. You know, and, at the most. At the most. Like that and that's a that's a heavy five days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, the work you know, that's another thing to think about, you know, that aspiring therapists or currently training therapists should know is like, you know, the MDA may work for PTSD. Work with PTSD is heavy. Yeah. It's not this isn't fun. People aren't having fun in their psychedelic therapy um you know people have fun with psychedelics in other settings and they sometimes have laughs and stuff and <laughs> sure it's important and everything for some people that is where a lot of healing can happen is connecting to joy again but um but mo with with trauma especially people are by definition there to talk about the worst thing that's ever happened to them right. you know so it's heavy. And so doing the work, is, that's something that I think anybody aspiring to do this work should know that like, it isn't fun. It's rich. You know, if your goal is to have the funnest career, it is very fun. The people are great. The patients are great. Um, it is fun work, but it's also heavy. And I think, you know, I was somebody who at once at one point, thought that life was about having the most fun and i'm i've changed i think to like life's to me it's about having the richest richest experiences and the richest life and these are thick with richness these experiences are thick with that um 
but they're, yeah, they can be demanding and they can be taxing and they can be very emotional. And so it's important if you're planning to do this work to also be taking care of your own mental health and, you know, not burning yourself out, not trying to, not planning to see five MDMA sessions a week. You know, don't, don't do, don't do day long dives into people's worst times sitting with that five times a week would be a lot to ask of anybody. So that's something that we're, you know, being very mindful of and how we're, for, you know, seeing the future of, you know, really putting limits on our therapists of how many of each kind of sessions. And, and we'll have these discussions openly with our therapists who are doing this work too. Um, you know, what's a good balance, work-life balance so that we can, be there a hundred percent for our people. Mm, yeah. So it's always tricky with this kind of, with, with having someone like yourself on the show, it's trickier than like, usually when I have a scientist on my show, I don't even consider like, Oh, maybe people know a bunch of this stuff already, but because of the interest in psychedelics, it runs the gamut of people that are going to be listening and watching right now go from people that have already gone down the wormhole of every book and psychedelic sure. video they can possibly find. And some people that have never once, like don't know what MDMA is, never taken a psychedelic, never researched psychedelics. It's kind of all over the place. And so, um, it, uh, is saying that I, I, I want to uh, give a little background. So I, I, I met Cole um, originally, and, and you can kind of go back to past episodes and hear us yeah. uh, talk about our background more, but I, I met him. Um, I started doing a psychedelic uh, comedy show that was like pretty psychedelic research heavy or pretty, I tend to be more scientifically oriented and skeptical and about in comparison to some of the other aspects of the psychedelic community out there. And so when I, when I started putting together this show and this act, I really wanted to, um, and I had, here we are, I wanted to find, like, I didn't know I wasn't in the psychedelic world. I right. just had had these, you know, profound experiences and that were, uh, impactful and life changing and hilarious at times. And so I wanted to, um, I took more time than I can just look up a university usually and be like, Oh, what do you got? A, a beetle researcher? Like, sure. What the heck? Let, let's right. hear about beetles. But, <laughs> but when it came to psychedelics, I know that people's experience and, you know, the difference between claims that are made by some and the actual like evidence that is out there to support claims and, and who is who is following kind of um, proper scientific methods? Uh, there's a huge spectrum, and so I kind of, through doing research, stumbled upon MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, and um, and and that's how Cole and I uh, met. And, and I wanted, I, I wonder if you could just give. Uh, just a little brief overview about Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies to set up that you kind of got approval to share some of some recent data and findings. Right, right. Yeah, so uh, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies has been around since the mid-80s. It was founded by Rick Doblin. And uh, its goal was to um, essentially to... Uh, demonstrate whether or not MDMA or other psychedelics are medicines. And for the first 15 to 20 years, it was mostly telling everybody that that was the mission <laughs> and, and spreading the word and getting support and making relationships. This is my own understanding. Uh, and, but in the early mid two thousands, um, they actually started to, you know, to get enough, uh, resources, including, um, learning about the systems of, uh, the regulatory agencies that oversee this kind of research. And they, um, tried to 
do their first MDMA assisted psychotherapy for PTSD trial. That was in the mid 2000 aughts. Um, Michael and Annie Mithoffer um, conducted that study uh, with the funding of MAPS in uh, South Carolina. And um, it was repeated. There were a few studies also done with the team in Boulder. Um, and uh, so their work has been primarily, um, they support uh, in different ways, uh, different psychedelic research that's going on in lots of different fields and in lots of different ways. But their their main focus has been on MDMA and making MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD uh, go through the FDA approval process. So, um, so yeah, I got connected with them, and I've been working on the at the phase two um, portion of that process in the mid 2000 teens. So in 2016 or so, our team started, I uh, assembled the team in Los Angeles and our team started training in the methodology and getting um, prepared to conduct the studies. And in 2017, I think is when we started seeing our very first um, study participants for phase two. And we finished a phase two trial. We finished a phase three trial. That one was published. The phase three trial is the big one. The phase three, the phase three trial, and this might be, you know, something worth reviewing. Phase three is like the end, you know, when there's a lot of exciting research going on with psychedelics and there are a lot of articles that you'll read about, you know, a study that showed that DMT did this and a study that showed that um, people who drink ayahuasca as part of a tradition have, you know, less incidences of alcoholism. You know, those trials are like the preliminary trials that build the evidence to even be allowed to suggest doing a real clinical trial. <laughs> That's where a lot of psychedelic research is and has been since all the excitement about psychedelics. Um, the FDA has a very formal process for demonstrating whether or not something can be a medicine, what meeting criteria for safety and efficacy. And so phase two is, phase one is proof of concept, showing that your medicine can be actually safely ingested by people. And so you have to present all of your evidence for why you think this could safely even be given to people. Then prove it with your phase one trial. Phase two is about, okay, now we're saying we think that this medicine that can be safely administered to human beings can be safely administered to human beings with a particular condition and it may help those people with that condition. So those are smaller trials, a couple dozen people typically. Um, and that's where we got into the process at, at my site was in the phase two process where we were giving people we knew had PTSD, we were giving them known MDMA and just measuring all kinds of outcomes, primarily the CAPS, the clinically administered PTSD scale and demonstrating whether or not those improved. Um, and so phase two is about demonstrating that your idea holds water. Then phase three is the last step. So phase three is what we've been doing for the last three or four years. And that's when you have multiple centers seeing as many people as you can to make sure that this is effective regardless, you know, this can be effectively deployed as a treatment to a large number of people. That's one thing that it works when you give it to a large number of people that you didn't just sort of get lucky in your phase two trial. Um, and a lot of it is to do a safety, making sure that you see enough people that you get, you know, that there isn't some rare thing that could come up safety wise that you didn't see in the smaller study you did before. So that's, so in that process, you know, MDMA for PTSD with MAPS is the furthest along, you know, in all of the research that's being done by psychedelics. And a lot of the psychedelic research that's coming behind MDMA has been sort of because of the trail that MAPS and MDMA has, has blazed to like, this is how you can do this. And this is how this research can be done appropriately. Um, so that's what MAPS is. MAPS is, you know, the ones that figured out how to, you know, 
ask these questions in a way that was acceptable to the scientific community, the regulatory agencies. And we're at the very, very, very finish line now. I mean, I think I feel like I've been saying that for years, but we really are. You know, MDMA um, is likely going to be the first one that is formally reviewed by the FDA for whether or not they are going to approve it. Like that, the data that they ask for will be able to be presented to them hopefully this year. Amazing. Yeah. It's very exciting. Yeah. Um, so, so as, as very soon, there might be MDMA and maybe psilocybin will, will follow shortly after as right. well. Um, this is kind of, um, this is meant to be my, my last question. I'm, I'm just telling you that in case there's like other things that you want to throw in that we've, sure. that we've forgotten about, but what, um, what kind of things are, what sort of things should people be looking for in terms of as as this is so new and even though there are regulatory bodies involved in um you know what what can be done and what is legal and and what various practices are allowed and aren't um there it still is and can be in areas in some context a little bit of the wild west out there still and uh -huh. and varying varying differences in say experience levels and yeah. backgrounds of of people that um are allowed to administer sure. uh, ketamine and i i know because i've had um we were uh, you know, we were just talking about um my friend jeff the other day who shared a horrible you know sure. uh, experience where he got clinical um Ketamine and and Rihanna, my assistant, she eventually found a spot that she liked, but the first spot that she she went yeah. to was there was no therapy involved. Right. They shot you full of ketamine and then booted yeah. you out immediately after. You didn't even like get to wait in a waiting room after after your session for your ride to show up. You're just right. uh, out like get out in the parking lot, and that's that. And and so how how can people uh, what can people do to find um, and e even gauge any kind of research of sure. who would be legit? What are the sort of red flags people right. should look for? Or that sort of thing. Yeah. So if you're looking, you know, I'm going to be biased towards psychiatry. So there are a few fields of medicine that are opening that are kind of commonly found in running ketamine clinics. So that's sort of, if we start there, is like our broadest category, ketamine clinics. There are ones being run by anesthesiologists, which is great because anesthesiologists have been working with ketamine since the 70s. So anesthesiologists are extremely uh, practiced and skilled in working with ketamine and human beings, right? Um, and then psychiatry is probably psychiatry is in the last probably two years there's finally more psychiatrists who are getting into ketamine opening ketamine clinics um and psychiatry is that way because psychiatry has been working with depression for 150 <laughs> you know as long as psychiatry has been around and psychology before that uh and so um it took a while for psychiatrists to get access to the appropriate safety and efficacy data and the how to work with the medicine. Um, and so I think that was a little lag was we want psychiatrists, you know, wanting to make sure that they can work with, um, can work with the medicine safely and effectively and, um, prepare their clinics to operate appropriately. And so I think if, if what you're looking for is what I do and like our clinic, I can say, honestly, um, our clinic is focused on trying to be, uh, the highest quality that we can. Um, and so ketamine assisted psychotherapy, which is mostly what I've been talking about this whole talk. Um, that is a, 
that is a lingo you can look for in the language, CAP, K-A-P, sometimes K-A-T, depending on where you are regionally, but CAP, ketamine assisted psychotherapy is, should be at the very least, not just administered the ketamine, but also supported with a therapist. That comes in all kinds of flavors and things now too. Um, I will say there are market forces and, you know, capitalism is pervasive and, you know, uh, so there are varying degrees of that too. Um, but, um, the, I think if you're, if you're going to be having a ketamine experience, even if you aren't intending to have a psychedelic experience, it's likely that you will at the doses that we know are effective for depression. So it's good to have somebody who can at least support you with that experience and honor that it may be valuable to you. Um, that would be CAP, ketamine assisted psychotherapy or ketamine assisted therapy. Uh, I am partial to in office sessions only. Um, not all places operate that way, but I have um, I have my reasons that I'm sticking to that I think that that's the best and safest and highest quality way to do it. Um, and, uh, so those are the things to kind of look out for, you know, there, there are less expensive maybe ways like the absolute cheapest ways, least expensive, accessible ways from that way are going to be some compromise of those things. You know, places where you're a doctor is overseeing the ketamine and a therapist or a guide or not quite a therapist, but somebody who will sit with you. Um, uh, if that's what you're looking for, you know, that that's sort of one branch of of what you'll find when you're looking out there. Most most uh, anesthesiologists or emergency medicine or internal medicine doctors that are offering it don't offer the psychotherapy component with it as well. So that's better than nothing, you know, like, um, but those clinics are also actually usually more expensive than psychiatric clinics because there's a lot of, um, those are more expensive businesses and general anesthesiologists have a lot of equipment and things like that, that, I think justify it being a, a higher price point for people usually. So, um, probably got a little into the weeds on that, but that was no, that's perfect. <laughs> no, it's a, people. That's probably the the question that most people are the most interested in, yeah. uh, and and knowing, and probably the most important one. So it's it's good to be uh, yeah uh, specific about the complexity like if, of it. If I'm advising a family or friend, I'm advising them to, like I said, I'm biased, find a place like ours, a place that's got a doctor that is going to be managing the medicine and, um, and your medical aspects of your care and a mental health professional who is going to be supporting you with the experiential part that is more or less inevitable and, um, preferably in the office. Okay. Well, um, you're going to be here at Lakeside Retreat That's for right. the Mind Under Matter Campout Festival, September 9th through 11th in Raleigh, just 20 short minutes from downtown Raleigh. It's 45 minutes from the airport, which is where I need to drive Cole to right now. And, um, and so we're, we're having at, at the, across, across the lake, if you're watching on video where the science talks are planned and thus we decide on a better area for some other reason. Anyway, there'll be a, a dedicated area where scientists will be giving talks and it'll, it'll run a range of things. I'm, I'm kind of telling people that, you know, there's going to be an hour between each band and we anticipate kind of starting talks 15 minutes after that to give people a chance to walk the five minutes around the lake to that area and and use the bathroom or get some water or whatever else. And um, and then I'm kind of telling my scientist guests that they'll get to, you know, have 30 to 45 minutes of kind of uninterrupted distraction less stuff before the next music starts. But then it's like it's kind of 
with the music going in the background, it's kind of nice. Uh, has a nice conversational feel to it and everything. And, and so, so some people are giving like a 30 minute talk or 45 minute talk and then getting into a Q and a, but then some people are just bringing things to present and ask, answering questions the whole time. And, um, because you're not a professor that spends a lot of time, uh, in front of classes, uh, teaching, you're the most, um, most, comfortable and and obviously just from hanging out with people last night um just it's probably what people want the most anyway is just answering questions so cole's just going to be kind of setting up a a couple minutes about his his background for context and then uh and then just opening it up to questions so it'll be kind of completely guided by uh you guys in the audience and It's going to be a science and music and comedy festival, which are three of my favorite things. And so I'll be expecting the audience. I won't know what to expect from the audience. So I look forward to seeing what their questions will be for me. Yeah, it's going to be great. So uh, so check it out. If you're anywhere near the Raleigh area, my goodness, if you're if you're within an eight hour drive of of Raleigh, 10 hour drive of Raleigh and you aren't going to come and camp out with us. You are really missing out on what's going to be an incredible experience. I get uh, that flights are expensive and everything else, but if you can make a drive and come out, you, it's going to be a a fantastic time. So again, consider that at mindunderpod.com to find more details. And we're adding more of the, uh, we have most of the musicians um, booked, just haven't updated the website yet as we're kind of working on scheduling and scheduling the comics and lots more being added. Um, so check that out. And there's there's early bird specials and things like that. And go to the Center for Psychedelic Therapy. www.psychedelictherapyca, as in the state of California, psychedelictherapyca.com. And shout out to the whole CCPT team, uh, Jamie, Brooke, everybody at CCPT, New School Research, the the team that does the research, Lisa, and all of our tremendous therapists and study physicians. Um, got an awesome team there. So, yeah, come check us out. And um, um, Brooke and Ashley have been on the podcast before too. So, so if you're going back, if you want to hear Cole's other episodes, but you can also hear me interview Ashley Booth and one of the Cole's episodes, Brooke was on, um, as well. Right. That was, or wait, who was on with you? Yeah. Shannon Carlin has been oh, on. Oh, that was, that's what it was. Okay. never Brooke mind. Brooke would be great. Um, well, we'll have Brooke on sometime in the future. Uh, you guys are terrific. Thanks for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you more next week. <laughs>